Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often, they are founded in fact. Broadcasting live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California. This is the Sixth Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael. And today we are excited to have on this show ceremonial magician and occultist Lynn, who will be talking about Alistair Crawley's magic for everyone. She's been practicing uh, ceremonial magic and other occult things for over a decade. And she's an artist, writer, and YouTuber who's particularly interested in making the occult accessible and inclusive. Now, we wanted her on the show because her particular focus is the path of Thelema. And even though this is going to be about magic for everyone, we thought she'd be a great guest to be the one to start this dialogue. And she's also an active member of OTO, where she serves as an assistant local body officer. So I think it's going to be a really fun show. But before we get started, Michael does have a few announcements. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show. Um, we're just going to have a lot of fun with this episode. We, Chris and I have been fans of Crowley for a very long time, and in fact, you know, we wouldn't be the tarot readers we are without him. So we're really looking forward to and really excited about this episode. And next week as well, we have um, author, very prolific author, uh, Preston Danette, whose specialty is UFOs and alien abductions. And we will be talking about greys and greens and all those things that fly in the sky next week. So it should be a lot of fun. And then we have uh, Spell It Out the week after that. And then the second Tuesday of April, we will have our good friend Merle Yost back on, our favorite therapist friend. And I'm not sure what the topic will be, but it's always going to be exciting because it's Merle. So get all the information on our website, SixthSenseSociety.com, S-A-X-T-H, all spelled out while you're there. Buy us a coffee on Ko-Fi if you can afford to. We helps us with our cost a little bit. Uh, but the most important thing, go to YouTube, click like and subscribe, and that helps more than anything. So don't take up any more time because there's just so much to cover whenever we talk about Crowley. So I'm going to kick it back to you guys. So take it away, Krista. Great. Thank you, Michael. And welcome to the show, Lynn. Thank you so much. What a joy and privilege it is to be here with you all talking about one of my favorite things, which is magic and Crowley. I'm so happy to find you. Um, We've had, I think I talked before the show, we have had Lon Milo Duquette on many times. He's been very generous and he's always a lot of fun. And I was really hoping to find a woman and had sort of more experience in in with the Lima and you're you're practicing and you're an officer. So I was really so thrilled to come across you. I think actually Michael found you. Oh, that's so wonderful. I'm such a huge fan of Lon and I thought it was just so cool. You had him on several times. So what a yeah, no, just a privilege to be here. Well, thank you. About that. So, yeah, thank you. Now, I wanted to read a quote to launch this topic so people don't think I'm just making this up, that idea that Alistair Crowley wanted magic to be for everyone. And I came across it years ago. So I'm going to launch this show with this little bit long quote, but it won't take long. It's from the Introduction of Magic in Theory and Practice, which I'm sure you're very familiar with. 
And he writes, this book is for all, for every man, woman, and child. My former work has been misunderstood and its scope limited by my use of technical terms. It has attracted only too many dilettante and eccentrics, weaklings seeking in magic and escape from reality. I myself was first consciously drawn to the subject in this way, and it has repelled only too many scientific and practical minds, such as I most designed to influence. But magic is for all. I have written this book to help the banker, the pugilist, the biologist, the poet, the navy, the grocer, the factory girl, the mathematician, the stenographer, the golfer, the wife, the consul, and all the rest to fulfill themselves perfectly, each in his or her own proper function. So that is why the, the show is wrapped around this idea, because it really is his intention. And I love that, that idea of just the ordinary person needing to know magic. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a fantastic quote to really kick off the show on because um, for someone who's coming to this topic for their first time and really wanting to get a sense of Crowley and his magic system, um, that magic and theory and practice is a, is a great book to start with. Um, it really lays out in plain language his thoughts across his system of mysticism and things like that. I think uh, people um, come across the Lima and they get really put off by some of the um, what I would call class A documents or channel texts uh, because they're so hard to understand. One of them, of course, being the central sacred text um, that sort of kicked off the Aeon of Horus, which is the Book of the Law or Libra Alva Legis. That's a very hard text to approach. And um, I would just encourage people if they're coming to this for the first time and they read that and they're like, I have no idea what this is. Uh, don't don't feel uh, discouraged by that. Uh, I, I certainly felt that way when I first read that book. Uh, but, you know, take a step back and magic and theory practice will get you started in a good direction to see if this is a good fit for you. That's a really good point about the more channeled works, because I have to admit the book of the law still puzzles me greatly since I'm not as well versed with some of the more I guess, technical parts of the order. And yet I I've, I've still read it. And I think you're right. Just go ahead and, and try and put it on anyway. But one of the things that's really cool in magic and theory and practice, which I tell people sometimes is just the 28 theorems that he presents in, in one of the, the parts of that book. And, and some of the theorems are, are things that you don't maybe expect. I mean, like from magic, and yet they're very profound. And um, so what do you think about those, the theorems and how anyone could take at least some of them and sort of begin to put it into their own practice? Yeah, well, that's a really good point. Um, I think oftentimes, sort of tangential to your point, um, is people think about Thelema and Crowley as something just for Thelemites. And I think that's not a good way to think about it. I think it's important to think about what he did in a system of mysticism and these theorems and just the whole across the gamut of being something useful for everyone. So to boil this down, one of the central concepts of Thelema is this idea of finding your true will and then being disciplined enough to do your true will. And the idea is everyone has their own true will or purpose in life or innermost spark of divinity. There's a lot of different ways to interpret that concept. Um, and a lot of people can approach that concept and get something out of it. So, uh, you know, whether you're picking up some of the rituals he did or any, any of these things he wrote, or even working with the Thoth deck, which you briefly mentioned earlier, um, you can just do that, right? Uh, you don't have to be a member of a magical order or anyone special in particular. Um, you can just be a person and, 
Um, there's sort of three threads on this uh, idea of magic for everyone. The first one being the central sacred holy text, which is Libra Alba Legis and what that says. And then it's like what Crowley the man says about magic being for everyone. And then what did Crowley's actions actually say? Because throughout history, anyone can say anything, but I think their actions really speak to what they actually internalized in terms of what they actually believe. So to go back to the book of the law, in it, it says every man and woman is a star. And so I think everyone is free to sort of interpret that how they wish, but I've always interpreted that we are our own, within us is our own innermost spark of divinity, our own star, our own stardom. And that just like we should honor that and find that mindfulness throughout our day and try to align ourselves with our will, uh, everyone else has that as well. And so uh, when we go about doing our work, um, we shouldn't interfere with the will of others. And so of course, in the book of the law, that's not Crowley speaking, that's a channel text of the divine speaking through Crowley. So uh, the way I think about it is Crowley's the megaphone, but not the author of the book of the law. And I, I as a Thelemite, that's how I would, I would think about that. Of course, I see other people saying Crowley authored the book of the law, and that's a valid opinion to have as well. But I've sort of, that's how I view that text. Um, but then when we see Crowley speaking of himself in a book like Magic and Theory and Practice, that's a direct quote. He, he says word for word, magic is for all and he truly believed and wrote about that that when we align ourselves with our will and our actions support the doing of our will and our divine purpose um he has this interesting concept that every act is a magical one mm -hmm. so when i sit down to eat a meal I am consuming calories that allow my body to exist and go forth and do my will. I'm changing that into spiritual substance. So I can, so same with blowing our nose or, you know, uh, taking a shower or going to work, whatever these things are, these mundane tasks, Crowley would view them actually as magical ones. So you don't have to have um, a bunch of different magical implements or a special robe or, you know, a, a you know, a temple or any of these things, just simply aligning yourself with your will as a magical one. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, um, I really think that a lot of Crowley's magic is really uh, mindfulness and, and kind of looking at life in a very deliberate way, um, as opposed to sort of a chaotic way and, and sort of being able to sort of master and, and utilize those forces. But I definitely think that, um, as I said, to me, it's a lot of it is about awareness. I also think that he's one of the few magical people that, I like the fact that he didn't divorce the physical world from the magical world because there are so many people that we talk about that will do a, a spell to get a job but never fill out a job application. And he, he was very much about you work on all levels, the physical level, the spiritual level, the magical level, um, and not just, you know, just one level, but in, in all parts of your being. I think they're all really good points. And one of the things I'd like to sort of focus on a little bit is this idea of when Alistair Crowley talks about will with the W capitalized, because I think that seems to be misinterpreted by some people, meaning you can do whatever you want. And he it makes it very clear that this will is something greater than the ego and and something that is very spiritual and and, and which in being such a wild man, he was so devoted spiritually too. Um, it, it, it's an interesting, which I like about him. He see, it almost makes him more human to me when people are so obviously human. <laughs> and and what's what's funny about Aleister Crowley is 
um, the more you get to know him, the more lovable he actually gets because all the bad stuff's kind of, you know, I don't think it's bad, but all the like the hype about him is out there, right? For everybody to see. And then you're like, oh, I want to check this guy out. <laughs> you know, and that's how I was. And it just, you know, your curiosity. And But, um, but tell me more about um, how you feel we can get in touch with this will. And it, it seems so straightforward, but is it, it doesn't seem that easy all the time. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I just want to say you made a bunch of really fantastic points there. Um, and I think the first one is uh, understanding what that concept is, because it is really confused by a lot of different people. Um, when we're talking about true will, we're discussing that specific concept of a spark of divinity within yourself. You're trying to align yourself and your actions with that. So that comes from a place of mindfulness and intention and being able to bring that awareness intention into your everyday actions. Uh, and so to sort of directly address the question you just asked, um, there's a lot of different workings uh, and ways to go about trying to discover your true will. Um, one of the ones we see most common, though it does not have to be the only one or the way you go about it, is uh, workings to uh, get in touch with something called your holy guardian angel or HGA. Um, and the, what that looks like is sort of, uh, th this is typically a long-term project of, uh, or working over many, many years, perhaps, depending on the person and what they're doing. Uh, and there's a lot of different methods to do that. But the idea is to um, get in touch with this uh, holy guardian angel. Now, how people think about this concept, they can think about it as purely an internal part of yourself or a psychological element you're getting in touch with or more external. So like a literal angel or spirit or energy or part of the universe you are connecting to or something more internal. So uh, you'll get a variety of different ways people think about this concept. But one way, you know, regardless of how you think about this, uh, the working would be focused on uh, developing what we call knowledge and conversation with the HGA. And then once you have that, that will sort of guide you in uh, being able to do your will. And a lot of these magical workings, uh, whether you follow something like the AA, and when I say that, I don't mean Alcoholics Anonymous, I mean <laughs> the magical teaching order Alistair Crowley established. Uh, so you can uh, join a teaching order like that, or, you know, all of this is published and out there. You can just do the work on your own, um, or you do something completely different. But the idea is to develop a daily magical regimen that allows you to not only discover your true will, whether that's through the HGA or whatever, but then once you know it, have the magical discipline in your everyday life to do it. And that's, um, the discipline uh, is just as important as the knowledge, in, in my opinion. You're absolutely right. I, I read, um, I forget what book I read. It had like um, some of Aleister Crowley's magical journals in it and um the entries and it was because i'm very interested in journals in general like i read all kinds of diaries and journals and and uh it was so meticulous like at this hour i did this and some of it was pretty boring like you, you don't really think of it you know and i thought wow at that point when he was doing that he was pretty disciplined you know and and you're right the discipline um magic has a i mean it's got a deservedly a kind of romance to it i mean it's 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 but i think the discipline can initially seem you know, not doesn't go with it on some level, but it, of course it is necessary. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think um, when people uh, first learn about this uh, 
you know, type of occultism, system, mysticism, religion, philosophy, however you wish to engage with Thelema, you know, they they first approach it with Aleister Crowley, who's portrayed as this absolute wild man, uh, you know, the beast 666, and, uh, you know, this, this bastion of hedonism, when his life points to something different, it points to a man who was, yes, very human and troubled and had a lot of issues, um, but who was also very disciplined and very... Um, he, he dedicated his life to truth and divinity. Uh, and he didn't, and I think this is, I don't want to get too off topic here, but that's one of the things people who occultists across the board are so interested about Crowley is he thought he believed truth was found throughout the world in every culture, in every person. And so, yes, he did travel all across the world and study under, um, you know, Buddhist, uh, he traveled through India, he was a mountain climber, he traveled through Japan. Um, and actually, when he received the Book of the Law, he he was actually a Buddhist. I think a lot, a lot of people realize that about him. And um, so, yeah, I mean, he, he was someone who was very dedicated. And I think that's a really interesting point, too, that you talk about his journaling. Um, I guess I'll share something personal about myself, because I'm sort of out there as a practicing occultist. I don't just intellectually engage with this stuff. I actually do it. Uh, when I journal, um, yeah, it is, it is uh, hard to keep up with, but I, I like to include um, some of the current astrological placements going on in the day. So the phase of the moon is really important. Um, I do write the time of the day, uh, what I'm doing. I like to record like uh, my meals as well, as well as uh, my daily magical practices and how those make me feel. So that's like a perfect day. Uh, but of course, life happens and um I'm not an independently wealthy person traveling the world, so uh, <laughs> yeah. you know that, it doesn't happen that way every day. But you know right. that's that's ideal circumstances, sort of what my journaling looks like. That's really cool, and I it's an it's an interesting phenomena how many people are actually now magically journaling. It almost be a good project somehow to I don't know coordinate it on some level to see what people are doing it because again it, it you learn from other people's practices what they do like the fact that you put your meals and I thought oh I hadn't thought to do that that's a good idea <laughs> you know and and he did I remember you're right he did that actually um now one of the things that Alistair Crowley talks about with um uh finding your will is this concept of the magical memory and being able to remember uh he, he emphasizes remembering your past life what you were doing in your past life which I found really fascinating um, in general since, you know, past life therapy has become much more popular and since even I was a young woman. And I'm wondering, is that something you have experienced yourself, you know, coming across any things with Aleister Crowley or magic that was familiar to you? Or uh, did you have those moments or have you also cultivated trying to remember some of your past lives? Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, we don't normally get to talk about this. So yeah, I think that was really important to Crowley. And, um, and I feel like a lot of people have a lot of success with that in terms of getting in touch with their past lives. And, um, you know, I, I hear people talk about maybe having some extra gifts, like insight or sight in general, what, whatever that may be for them, uh, that's really helped them with their occult work. Um, and this is going to sound, uh, I hope not disappointing, um, but I am one of these people, I don't have any gifts. I'm just a person, I don't have any, um, I haven't had any success um, finding out about my past lives. Um, 
I think in terms of broader experience, I'm very, very uh, ungifted. But I think that's interesting uh, in that because I am so bland and I don't want to say normal, that's not the right word, but I, I just lack these additional abilities and, this, and these additional successes. The fact that I dedicated myself to much of this work, much of the system of mysticism for years and got results, I think is evidence that anyone can do it. If someone as boring and uh, ungifted as me can do it, I think I think it opens the doorway to being so much more accessible to a lot of people. And um, I think if someone, for example, with past life experiences and getting in touch with that, for example, if you if this still isn't resonating with you and you've had no luck with it, um, or you've you know tried around on some of the astral projection stuff and haven't had any success with it, or scrying, or regardless of what kind of occult work you're doing, and you're just like, wow, this doesn't work at all. It's okay. You're not alone. Uh, I am one of those persons. A lot of stuff does has not worked for me despite trying, but some has. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's I think that's a not a bad thing. I think that's actually a, a, in favor of some stuff working, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're probably one of these people that that have um, talents. I, I I sort of not fond of the word gift because of its misuse. You probably have talents you just don't recognize. Like you, you obviously come across immediate to me as truly being connected and authentic and able to articulate what you've learned, which I since I've talked to a lot of different people in um, with a lot of knowledge, that is an ability. Uh, that that ability to kind of bring it in and a way that I could understand or just anyone could understand. But a lot of times people are just not able to see their own talents, you know, they're, because it's natural to you. It's something that, and that's what I, I think, uh, I, I think now and then I would say a, a gifted person to me would be someone maybe like Casey, Edgar Casey had a very unique talent, mm. but even then it was, it was kind of a talent when you think of it, then he just did it a lot. <laughs> so then you, yeah, you, you know, really, that's a beautiful perspective. I really love that. And I think that's really empowering for not only me, but like uh, perhaps listeners as well to know that, you know, just because you, I think we see this a lot with social media these days, it's like, Oh, this person is so can do all of this stuff, but I can't do it. I mean, yeah. I mean, it may just be undiscovered or present itself in a different way, but you know, I, I do truly believe in this idea of true will and that we all are our own, you know, light in the world. Yeah, I think it's part of the idea every man and woman is a star. We're all, we really are all unique. Even if you believe in reincarnation, you'll never be this person again in this culture with all these conditions. You'll be someone else with maybe some of the, what you learned. And so in that way, this is just, no one can copy you. They can be, you know, some similarities or, um, and that's something to me that's part of, I feel when people discover their true will and they become, even semi-enlightened, there is something about them that makes them unique, like the way they present themselves, their language, their style, and you sense that right away with people like that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really beautiful to see people open up uh, in various, regardless of what their path looks like, you really see them fully embodying who they are. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Now, I am kind of curious is... Um, what do you think for yourself? You said that some things have worked well for you, um, 
what kinds of things have you noticed with practicing magic have worked for you? Yeah, um, I think some of the, a lot of different things. Um, we'll start with the most uninteresting. Or I think it's interesting, but I've been told before that it's uh, not, but it's yoga uh, and meditation. I think regardless of what kind of magical work you're doing, I think meditation is... Um, the foundation of so much other work. It gives you the building blocks by which you're going to build other things on top of, being able to focus your mind on an intention, focus yourself and ground yourself uh, has a lot of beautiful, fruitful benefits. Um, in terms of yoga, uh, I've done a lot of different types of yoga. I've been doing yoga uh, perhaps even longer than anything else. I think it's a beautiful practice. Crowley was actually absolutely huge into yoga. Uh, he was one of the big people who brought it over to the West, actually. Um, and I really recommend for listeners, if you're interested in that, uh, check out Crowley's eight lectures on yoga. Uh, that was actually also a huge part of his system of mysticism, too. Mm -hmm. I feel like that doesn't get talked about enough, but he was really big into yoga, and he wrote this book in particular for him to do it in a way that was accessible. Um, and so I, I guess this is, I don't want to get too off tangent here, but uh, there was this really funny picture of Crowley uh, sitting sort of mostly naked doing in a yoga pose. Um, and that was actually from that, that yoga series. But like, oh, he looks so goofy. Well, he actually did that on purpose to demonstrate even as an older um, gentleman, he's still able to do yoga. So if he is in his older age able to do yoga, everyone else can too. So uh, yeah, yoga. And I think one of my more interesting experiences with yoga, uh, specifically practicing yin yoga, uh, which isn't the stuff Crowley did, but a different offshoot, is um, holding poses for a long time. I actually end up pretty consistently getting uh, visual hallucinations, which mm. uh, when you talk to people, that's pretty common. Um, interesting. So yeah, yoga has been really fruitful in terms of mindfulness, grounding, um, opening myself up to being able to do my will, which is kind of the point of everything. And same with meditation that goes along with yoga. Um, and then I'll make another side note for people because, you know, the theme is, of course, accessibility and stuff like that. Um, if you're someone who's really struggling with meditation, because I hear that all the time, someone's like, this isn't working for me, I can't meditate. Try something different. Try meditating with maybe a scent, burning some incense, having your mind connect to that. Maybe try, a, you know, putting on a video with different patterns and staring into that. Maybe, maybe your mind needs that extra input. And yoga allows you to move mm -hmm. so you can connect your mind to your body. And maybe that'll give you the extra push to get those fruits from meditation. Um, and then once you have that established, I've had a lot of success with astral projection and getting visions from that work, that's a really beautiful thing to do, uh, various workings there. Um, daily practice-wise, um, again, on ideal circumstances, but I do practice, practice Libra Rush, which is uh, solar adoration performed four times a day. Um, for me, when I first started, it was really hard. It wasn't until I fully memorized the ritual and was off book that I started experiencing um, sort of extra energy, I feel recharged. I feel almost like a cleansing or banishing after performing it. Mm. And um, I also do will, which is done before a meal, which is the idea uh, you say it before you eat. Some people compare it to, um, you know, prayer before a meal, which it really isn't that. It's more 
making the meal an intentional one, which I think is really beautiful. And yeah, I find that just brings extra awareness into my day and connects me to the natural cycle of the day. And um, yeah, sort of grounds me. So that sounds a lot like a lot. Yeah, I I keep busy. Um, (laughs) um, And then of course, I I could go on, but uh, something I do as a group as as a member of the OTO, of course, monthly about, uh, we perform the Gnostic Mass, which is a really beautiful ritual for our community. And yeah, that's just sort of, uh, I feel like after that ritual, I just feel like so healed and so energized Mm. from it. Now, going back to that point about not not as many people know about uh, Alistair Crowley and yoga, I didn't until maybe, I don't know, four years ago when I, it was, I don't know, within one book I was reading, and I said, oh my God, I had no idea he was so, so involved in it. But, you know, it does make sense because he was athletic that he would find some spiritual component that's physical. And I I personally uh, like that, um, doing something that has movement in it to complement whatever you're doing. I am one of these people that's very restless. So I've done meditation in the past. I've moved more into like Qigong and that seems to work better for me now because my body just can't sit still. (laughs) So, or mantra practice because then my mind has something to like look at, you know, but I, I was really impressed when I found out he was also, you know, really into yoga. And then that you're right. That mystical side is not quite as well known in, you know, isn't as uh, popular. Um, now the other thing I wanted to ask you was, um, what has been your experience so far as a woman, as a practicing in Thelema and also just as a woman who considers herself a ceremonial magician, because it's still not quite as, um, well known that women do that. There are a lot of women doing it, I think, but it's, it's not as well known. There, there are more women sort of writing about it and speaking. But even so, a lot of people will say, well, women are going to be witches or oracles or, you know, something else, even though this idea has been around for a long time, even, you know, with people, Dion Fortune and um, Florence Farr. It's been a while, but it's not as, I don't know why, it just doesn't in the public mind, you don't think, you think men more. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought this up. This is so important to me, and it really goes back down to why I'm existing at all in the public sphere. Um, I think in general, occultists, you know, hidden, we like to hide. <laughs> you know, it's. Uh, I, th- I think there are a lot of people um, who are really interested in spirituality and occultism who are never, never talk about it outside of their own personal experiences and keep it very private. And that's such a valid thing to do, but. Um, that was a main motivator for me to start talking about my journey and talking about my experiences was, um, you just, there isn't the same amount of women in these spaces as there is men. Um, and I get that a lot, actually. I get, um, you know, there is that stereotype that men are cultists and women are witches. Um, and, you know, you see people dabbling in both, and I don't want to invalidate anyone who's like, I practice occultism and witchcraft. Like, that's absolutely possible. Um, but for me personally, in my journey, I am an occultist, a ceremonial magician, and a thelemite. Um, That's what it looks like. I don't practice witchcraft. Uh, I never have. Um, I, I completely respect it, and I have so many friends in that community, and I really see the value in witchcraft in particular, but that's not something that has resonated with me personally. So I don't identify as a witch because I'm not one. <laughs> um, 
But I think, um, you know, I, I think there's sort of two things in this current. I think there's like the historical stuff and then there's like the modern stuff and like what that landscape looks like. So to kind of weave that into my experience, uh, I guess it's important to note in terms of Thelema, women from the very conception of the Book of the Law and the conception of these magical orders, and quite frankly, the very existence of Thelema, women have been an integral part to that. You know, we may not hear about the women in Thelema. Crowley may take much of the spotlight, especially because he was so colorful and outlandish and just such a fun person to write about and make stuff up about, but women have been there. Um, so when we talk about the reception of the Book of the Law uh, and Crowley's wife, Rose Crowley at the time, Without Rose, the Book of the Law would have never even happened. That's just a fact. Um, she wasn't an occultist, but she was so important to the reception of that sacred text. Um, and then from Rose, uh, you know, as the story goes on, Crowley eventually established the magical teaching order, the AA. Um, and there were, from the get-go, women who were a very important part of that magical teaching order and have carried that lineage and that light and transmuted that gnosis to mankind through this magical order, um, through these women. Uh, one of those women, of course, being Jane Wolfe, and then from her, Phyllis Suckler. There's just the name Chew. Um, and then when we see in Crowley's personal life and his scarlet women, which is people who aren't familiar with the term scarlet woman, that's a very specific office within Thelema. Um, and it's held by a woman in relation to the other office of the beast, which was Alistair Crowley. So it's not, um, it's just the magical office and position. It's not anything uh, outside of that, in, in my opinion. So um, those Scarlet Women were integral to writing the, some of the central rituals, performing those central rituals, uh, also taking notes and writing and organizing and keeping records of all of this stuff. Because without those women holding on to, um, I guess, recording this magical stuff, it would just poof, it would just not exist, you know? We wouldn't have it today, and we have them to thank for that. And we have them to thank for uh, rituals uh, like the Rites of Eleusis, um, being as beautiful as they are, and, um, you know, even when we come back to the central ritual, the Gnostic Mass, there's a central priestess in that particular role. Um, it's not just a ritual for men by men, <laughs> women, and every part of Tholema exists and have a role there. Um, and so in the in the modern day, we actually still see that, um, you know, women hold very important positions and we're actually seeing a shift uh, in a lot of our different magical orders, whether the AA or the OTO, women are uh, in more positions of power and um, organization and people are becoming more and more aware of diversity and inclusion. Uh, within the OTO, we have a diversity and inclusion committee uh, who have made a lot of progress to make not only the rituals themselves, but uh, the, the culture we're creating to be um, inclusive and safe and di diverse. Uh, from my own personal experience as a modern day practicing occultist, um, yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of intentional spaces within our community, whether it's magical orders um, or just gatherings of people and, and uh, 
casual places like Discord or on social media, wh whatever the case may be, if, if it's an intentional vetted space, I've noticed, yeah, absolutely, uh, there's a lot of women who are interested and a lot of like minds within the occult and ceremonial magic, and it's really supportive. Same with our magical orders. I think especially when they make that effort to be mindful of uh, listening to women and giving women positions of power in particular, uh, it's what uh, once you got the ball rolling, you know, more and more women and um, become interested in getting involved. And I've always felt in a lot of these spaces, um, uh, yeah, just being given a voice and the opportunity to participate in a meaningful way. Uh, you know, outside of that, I think the reality is um, in sort of the wilds of the internet, especially mm. uh, you do face people with sort of... Um, <sighs> I don't know, uh, I'll, I'll just say myopic views of uh, a women's role in different magical workings and orders or, you know, in general, uh, oftentimes, uh, I don't want to say often, but it's unfortunate some men view women as magical tools to their uh, workings. Right. They don't view women as magicians in and of themselves, which right. we absolutely are. We are magicians. We're not just a magical tool in relation to a man. And we always have been. Right. Those are all really, really excellent uh, points. And when I was listening to you, one of the things I was thinking about is um, there has sometimes been this over-intellectualization of the, uh, the cult. And when you see um, all of the people we admire, like Dean Fortune and Alistair Crowley, there, there are like non-intellectual things that were part of the tradition, like the channeling. And the fact that Rose, I, I love Rose. Uh, I mean, when I discovered her role, I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, well, then I noticed people are starting to write about her more. And I was like, good, you know, and, and giving her the credit she definitely deserves. And but um, but there's there, there are some more like um, non-intellectual things that happen to create these orders. But I think sometimes it's just become a, a little dry um, with certain people in the occult like I mean it's uh, certain people have this great ability to learn a lot and that's the that's fine but some people are going to be almost like like in um, Buddhism you'll have people that are slightly more devoted and they want the experiences and I wonder at some point when that will be kind of equally valid in western uh, occultism in the modern western occultism because I think it has been in the past Wow, that's such a good point. I could not agree more. And I think that's one of the reasons people get a taste of the occult and maybe like look online, like what's out there, like, oh, no, it's not for me. I don't want to be like a super nerd um, or I just don't have the time to be a super nerd, you know, and um, or I don't have the economic feasibility to buy 100 books and mm -hmm. read them all nonstop. Like you are not less of a person or a magician just because you aren't a super nerd or have the resources to do these things. I, I truly believe that it's for everyone. And it comes down to, um, well, what even is a Philomite? And that's something widely debated. Um, but the definition I really like, uh, and that's laid out by Grandmaster Sabazius of the OTO, um, the USA, <laughs> uh, he says that a Philomite is someone who accepts the book of the law and whatever that means for them and seeks to know and do their will, period. All that other hyper nerd stuff doesn't matter. If you are someone who's genuinely on the path, seeking to do, know and do your will and accepts the book of the law, whatever that means for you, whether that's divine inspiration, whether you believe it's just a part of Crowley's mind that he was channeling, 
you know, this, if this text is something you've internalized and believe, congratulations, you are as valid as anyone else in the path. And where you take that is up to you. Yeah, you can, you can become, you know, if you're someone who is more attuned or, you know, more in this sort of intellectual space, that's valid. But if you're not someone who resonates with reading a lot of books or just don't have the time or ability, that's valid too. And you can, you know, with, with basic tools like meditation and wherever you take that Eastern, Western, um, that's the beautiful thing about Thelema. It's all about you and your path and what resonates with you. So a lot of these tools are there and available for you to learn from, but they're not required. And quite frankly, if you feel pigeonholed, like you have to do something and it's not working for you, I think it's honoring who you are to set that thing aside, whether it's studying or practicing and be like, no, that's not, that's clearly not for me. The universe is giving me a sign. Mm. This is not for me. And let me honor who I am. Let me honor that internal divinity and do what's right for me. And that's what it's all about. I love that definition of Thelema. And I totally agree. I, I, I'm sort of a person that once in a while I think I want to be a little more nerdy and then I realize what it would take and I said, you know what, I just appreciate the people that have taken the time to go and translate the original Greek. I can't learn Greek right now <laughs> and, and, and it's okay. And, and then um, for me, it's always been a little bit because I'm a little mix of both and uh, it's taken me many, many years to just accept how I am magically, spiritually, and be comfortable. I mean, I think that's part of the idea of finding your true will is you're going to emphasize certain things that are right for you, like you're saying, that if it's, it feels like authentic and you're connected. Um, and that's something each of us has to struggle with, you know, and, and come to that peace inside of us. Yeah, and, and that's what it's all about. I mean, if on your journey you find something that is, that is you and works for you, that is more important than what some random internet user is saying that people should or should not do. It's your journey. It's your path. You know your will above anyone else. Yeah, people can offer some helpful advice, but ultimately, if it's not working for you, it's more important to be in tune with yourself and honor that. Yeah. And this is uh, really talking about interesting enough, inclusion within magical groups, feeling included, which can, I have felt sometimes, I, I, I was part of um, the Order of the Eastern Star for 10 years, and I really liked um, a lot of the symbolism, and I, I did my own research on it, but I, I never felt included in, in it for a, a lot of reasons, but I did learn what I needed to from it, and I really appreciated that. And so I have been in groups where I felt included, and accepted. And I've been in groups where no matter what I've done, it feels like I'm just not doing what's, I don't even know what it is I'm supposed to be doing <laughs> to feel included. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely understand that. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's both the inner and outer world in terms of including people in magic. And, and in fact, in some ways, the struggle is more within magical communities sometimes, be, feeling the inclusion of everyone. Though I have to admit that you, none of us really want to include, I mean, I suppose you can be polite to people that have complete bullshit. I mean, it's like, you know, or, or their egos are just so grand. It's just hard not to say, oh my God, you know, <laughs> that um, I suppose there's room for them too. If they're, if they're truly being themselves. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, that's a sort of a tangential, really good point that not a, pe a lot of people realize that, 
um, is important to realize for yourself, but also others. Um, magical orders are a very specific expression and fill a very niche thing. Uh, and there's a lot of different magical orders out there, all different kinds. Um, the law of Thelemas for all, but regardless of what magical order it is, that's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. And so it, you're not less of a Thelemite or an occultist or a magical practitioner of any kind if you find yourself either A, not resonating with it, or it's not giving you what you need, or it's not, the vibe is off, whatever it may be. Um, but it's it's not for everyone. And that's okay. It doesn't have to be. You know, uh, even if even if you enter a group and you realize something about yourself, quite frankly, I don't think that's wasted time. I think that's well spent time because you realize more about yourself along that journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Now, one of the things that's interesting about um, the idea of magic being important to know what it is is that I remember listening to a podcast. I can't remember what it was. They were talking about how advertising uses magical things deliberately and how in dangerous ways and how if you know magic uh, memes are like that the idea of the virus and the thoughts and how if you know what's magical you're less likely to be affected by it and so talk about the idea of magic just helping people to navigate this really complicated public system now where everyone is saying all kinds of things and you don't know what is the truth yeah that's a really good point um so uh, I think it comes back to uh, something Crowley said, where magic is the art and science of causing change to occur in conformity with will. Well, what what, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> um, so when we're talking about that, when we're talking about science, we're talking about things that produce predictable results and things we understand the mechanism of with that artistic flair. And so when you go about these workings and injecting this mindfulness into your daily life and how you are interacting with the world, regardless of of what that is, whether you intentionally make a talisman to help your, you know, you know, however you think this talisman is going to work magically um, to help you with some sort of, you know, I don't know, addiction or uh, that's a bad example, but you know, uh, you know, something you're you're focusing on changing about yourself. Um, You are, attempting to cause change and conformity with will. So, and when we talk about that is of course, aligning yourself and your actions and your thoughts even with your innermost spark of divinity and your path in life. So in terms of being influenced by advertisements or peer pressure or social media or whatever the case may be, um, I've found that when you align yourself with that purpose, you find yourself more mindfully engaging. So instead of just mindlessly scrolling, uh, because remember, especially on social media, it's an attention economy to make you look at as many ads as possible, whether it's TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, all of these places, it's an attention economy. So they want you to look at that as long as possible. And if you can be mindful in your action and you catch yourself, wow, I'm just randomly scrolling. I am not actually working on things to deliver my will or progress towards my will. You can put that down. Um, And you can stop, hopefully, if that's your will, to stop randomly scrolling and distracting yourself and to live more intentionally. Um, And I think that a lot of magical work is just simply about being intentional and when you're intentional and don't just allow yourself to be swept away by advertisers or any of this other stuff, 
it doesn't affect you as much. Mm -hmm. Great point. That's when you know it's working. You're not reacting. Um, you're able to stay stable and calm inside of you. And in a way, it could be a good test. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, 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 that's very true. I, I've found myself sometimes I'll type something and then I'll say, you know what? Don't even do it, Krista. <laughs> and I'll just erase it. I've gotten, my, now I don't even have to do that. At first I had to kind of rein myself in a little. It's like, what does that matter? <laughs> and who's oh, that serving? You know, I've, and... I've done that as well. I'll like type something out and I'll be like, no. And then I'll just put it in my magical journal instead. I'm like, good. <laughs> oh, I love that. Now, a fun question. Do you think Alistair Crowley would have an Instagram or TikTok account? <laughs> yeah, I think he would. And it would be really bad. <laughs> I, I don't know. These things pop in my head. I said, hmm, of those people would, would you know, wait, have done it or Crowley, what would it look like? Deanne Fortune. I mean, you know, it's it's just an interesting thing to think about and kind of amusing as well. Absolutely. I, I think Crowley's accounts would be really chaotic and just like a dumpster fire. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd unfollow Crowley probably. <laughs> he probably got, a, he'd get a lot of controversy. They might even kick him off. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so I know we're, we're still got some time, but I did want to talk a little bit about some of the things that you have to offer. I know you have a YouTube channel and it's uh, maybe it's Lynn and we're going to put the link up for people, whichever link you want us to put up on our website for people to contact you. And uh, tell us a little bit about what you do on YouTube. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really interested um, in talking about practical applications of magic and making it accessible and easily understandable for people. Uh, the focus of my YouTube channel is ceremonial magic and the occult and specifically Thelema. Um, and I occasionally do have special guests on my channel, um, but mainly it's ceremonial magic and talking about it uh, from my perspective and making these concepts and practices really accessible. So I remember Early on, I was like, how do I do the thing? I just have a book to read. So uh, finally, now that I know how to do the things, <laughs> I guess, and uh, find it incredibly useful, um, I'm making sort of the content I wish I had. Uh, and I've gotten some really good feedback that people really enjoy it and they get a lot out of it. So sort of my way to give back to the community and help with that. I listened to a couple. I really enjoyed it. And and we, my, my husband and I, we believe you should not you should, but it's a, it's good to do what you would want to do and not worry about where it's going to go. Um, usually that's more successful anyway, but it, you know, it's like anything else. I feel like why would you do something that, that has, that is difficult in this day and age if you didn't enjoy it? Like, because it's, it's difficult to be seen on anything right now because there's so many people doing it. So just saying, you know, I'm going to do something that's meaningful to me. And I think then it, it attracts the people that, you know, you resonate with. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I will say I absolutely love doing YouTube uh, and I love making videos and, uh, you know, writing ritual guides and just all, all across the board, like just sharing my experience. And I think ultimately I get so much out of it. I When I'm making these videos, I learn so much about the making part of it and getting more skills there and just the, the thought, the mindful thought process that goes into what people would like to know and like what's useful here and there. I had someone uh, write me, he's like, oh, what's your social media plan? What's your YouTube plan for growth? And I'm like, I don't have one. I mean, quite frankly... I was going to say if I have one person write, watch it and get something out of it, it'd be a success. But quite frankly, if no one watched it, 
just the act of creation is a success to me personally. So the fact that anyone watches it is, is just such an honor and joy. And uh, it's so cool to connect with people on this journey of, of like minds. And uh, it's, it's very inspiring to me as well. We found that on YouTube too. We've had some really touching um, messages from people and we totally, we love all the guests that I've had on the show. I always want to go and take a course with them afterwards. And it's again, one of those things like, okay, Krista, settle down. You don't have time right now. And, but that's how much they affect me. And I find it just really, um, really stimulating. And, and, and it's, we've, like you just really enjoy doing it. You know, it's been, that part has been just really wonderful and we plan to keep doing it. So I'm glad you're enjoying your, your process with YouTube as well. And then people can also find you just to follow you on Instagram if they want and Twitter as well under the same Mavius Lynn. So we still have some time and uh, what would you, uh, since I know you do read, um, if you were to recommend to people that do like to read, what are some of the books you think might be good for, you know, pretty much anyone that's interested in magic um, from anywhere at all that you think could be useful? Yeah, absolutely. So the first one for just magical theories, um, Magic and Theory and Practice, which is what we talked about earlier on in the episode, I highly recommend. Um, for people get interested in Western esotericism in general or the occult, um, I, had, I heard someone say, Crowley's touched everything. And that's kind of true, uh, regardless of your feelings about Crowley, he has. And I highly recommend getting a firm idea if you're interested in that in who he was and what he actually believed, because there's a lot of just made up stuff, just like completely fabricated stuff out there. Uh, and so I'm gonna recommend the go-to biography about Crowley, which is Perdurabo by Richard Kaczynski. Um, that is an incredibly thoroughly researched book. Uh, everything's backed up. There's uh, you know great effort taken to separate fact from fiction in there without trying to sell you on what to think about Crowley. So the facts are just there. And then what how you feel about them is up to you. There's not like an mm. overarching, you should feel this way about Crowley. It's just there. Uh, and so then you can really parse through your feelings from that book. If you're interested in starting immediately to practice, I highly recommend Living Thelema by David Shoemaker. Uh, that has some real go-to... Um, exercises, practices, really easy to understand, especially since Crowley is a little difficult. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the last one I'm going to recommend, uh, who we've already mentioned is Lon Milo Duquette, who's a fabulous writer. He's so funny. And I'm just going to go ahead and recommend. I mean, there's a lot of his that's fantastic, but I'm going to recommend Chicken Kabbalah by Lon Milo Duquette. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's getting, I mean, if you're interested in tarot, if you're interested in really esotericism in general, getting some kind of a grasp on Kabbalah is really going to serve you well. And Chicken Kabbalah is a great, fun introduction to it. Yeah, that one is really funny. I just read that a couple of years ago. And yeah, he's a very good writer. I've, I've maybe read three or four of his books and I enjoyed all of them. And uh, he's also, uh, he reads a lot of his um, books now on Facebook uh, as part of what he does daily. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. Lon has some fantastic live streams on Facebook that are great to tune into. And he's just such a wonderful person. Yeah, no, he he's, I, I will say that he's, um, I love his sense of humor, which he really emphasizes you find out in the Chicken Kabbalah because Kabbalah can be very, very intimidating. <laughs> and and there is there are there is that school of people in Kabbalah that can be a little snobbish, like anything, you know, and can, oh, you're not pronouncing it the right way or and and he sort of says it, you know, that he's trying to make make it 
accessible to all, another, another person that wants it to be accessible to all through humor. Yeah, absolutely. So um, going back to just that idea that magic is for everyone, and I, I always find it interesting, I, I think about, and this is true also for intuition and psychic abilities, is that it seems like it's a little slanted towards, well, you know, if I'm going to develop magic, then I'm going to live a magical life and I'm going to be a magical teacher rather than in that beginning quote, he says a banker, you know, a secretary. And how would that look if we had these jobs and we were magicians? I just find that a really cool idea. Like, why do we, why would we want it all to be in one area anyway? Because it'd be sort of boring if we were all psychics and we were all magicians only. Mm -hmm. Um, so what do you think about that? How how do you think that could look or how could that shape our world a little differently? Yeah, that's a great point and really opens it up to um, a larger perspective on our world and the future that we're going in. I think when you live a magical life in, a, in attunement to your will, listening to yourself mindfully, every act becomes a magical one that is honoring who you are, where you want to go, what you're trying to achieve and sort of when you were doing that you're flowing with the stream of the universe as opposed to against it so instead of shaping yourself into what society says you should be or you know uh, you know what your family tells you you should be <clears throat> what um even other magicians tell you should be or do when you primarily focus in on yourself and your will and who you are and the expression of that and following that, you are no longer going against the current of the universe, but going with it. And I see you are sort of resolving that internal conflict and a lot of that tension. And it just seems like things start to fall into place in your life and things just sort of work out. Mm. And I, and my will isn't the same as someone else's will. So we're, we're, when we're and incredibly believe this too, when you're all separately doing your wills, the universe will just sort of work out and fall into place and go with the flow and go with the stream of who you're meant to be or you know yourself. So that banker, that artist, that writer, that doctor or lawyer, all of these could be authentic expressions of someone's will and all equally valid. So all of our paths are going to look different. All of our wills are going to look different because we're different people. We're individual stars in the body of the cosmos and the body of Nuit, who's the goddess of the night sky. Um, she's um, mentioned in the Book of the Law. So, and what, one of one of the divine forces speaking in the Book of the Law. So, as as we are all embrace our starhood, our unique divinity, it's going to be separate and different. The expression is going to be different, but both as bright and beautiful, uh, because after all, every man and every woman is a star. I love that. And I love that idea. It's so true that you're working with the universal energies more naturally. And I, I would expect one would have more flow and synchronicity in your life as well, which always makes people feel more connected and having a sense of purpose. And, and, and perhaps some problems, we will always have problems in the human condition, but maybe some would go away because that you're right, that inner struggle wouldn't be there for people anymore, which is, which is a Absolutely. lot of the reasons why we have some of the outer struggles due to the projection of that struggle. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So is there any last little thought you'd like to share? We're getting close to the end here for anyone listening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, of course, I want to thank 
you all for having me on. It's such a joy and it's been so fun to talk about something I love so much. And I guess for all of the listeners out there, um, I just want to encourage you to go out there and find your path and find what's right for you and um, honor who you are and honor what works for you. And no two paths are going to look alike because we're different people. And I think that's a beautiful thing, not something to be another source of internal shame. It's a, a beautiful expression of divinity. I love that. And thank you so much for coming on. We hope you will come back another time. You have a lot to offer. And it's been really delightful talking to you about one of our favorite subjects, too. (laughs) Wonderful. Yeah, it'd be an absolute joy to come back on anytime. (laughs) Awesome. We'll look forward to it then. And thank you all for listening in. Join us next time as we continue to explore the esoteric and the obscure together. Have a magical week.